Welcome to another episode of Civic Cypher. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. All right, today and will forever go by the name Q War. Yes, indeed. Um, got an interesting show for you to stick around for. Um, a lot of stuff going on in the media about the January 6th insurrection and the trial um, and uh, the January 6th committee and their plan to prove Trump's culpability, his responsibility for the attack on our nation's capital. Uh, and as a result, it's appropriate and timely for us to weigh in with our take because, you know, uh, you may not get a sense of black people really having uh, a dog in that fight, but I can assure you with great certainty that black and brown and uh, indigenous uh, native and and everyone does have a place um, in that conversation and so we will take some time to talk about that um, a little bit later in the show we're going to talk about reparations this has been something that has been a long time coming on this show um, we kind of allude to it here and there but we're going to kind of peel back some layers and really break that down because usually when folks get to talking about reparations the conversation kind of begins <laughs> and ends in the same session. Um, and there's hardly ever any real progress. So we wanted to take a moment to just kind of start that conversation, at least in this uh, forum. In our way, Black History Fact, uh, we just passed June 12th, which is Loving Day, the day when interracial marriage finally became legal in the U.S. Um, so we're going to talk about that because that is a way Black History Fact indeed. But first and foremost, um, we are going to talk about some ebony excellence. How does that sound, Q? I think that sounds incredible. Shall we? We shall. So do you know what an EGOT is? I have heard that term before um, in relation to another one of our favorite people, Mr. Jamie Foxx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An EGOT, for those that don't know, uh, it's spelled sort of weird. I think it should be G-O-T-E, which you could say phonetically GOAT, right? And GOAT is a term that we use, you know, in popular vernacular, but they, they've organized it in this way. EGOT stands for Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony, right? And very few people who work in that space actually um, get all of those accolades. Well, um, besides Whoopi Goldberg, another black woman has earned her EGOT status. This is among the greatest of the greats. She goes by the name of Jennifer Hudson. This comes from Rolling Stone. Uh, the Respect star joined the Elite EGOT Club on Sunday night after she was awarded for her work as a producer on Michael R. Jackson's best musical, winning a strange loop in the 2022 Oscar Awards. And EGOT is an artist again who has won an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and a Tony Award in their career. Winning her Oscar for her role in 2006's Dreamgirls, Hudson's Grammy Award came in 2009, winning Best R&B Album for her uh, album title, titled Jennifer Hudson and following with an additional Grammy win in 2017 for her work on the musical theater al album The Color Purple. In 2021, Hudson gained a Daytime Emmy Award for Baba Yaga, which won Outstanding Interactive Media for a daytime program. And with this latest Tony Award, completing her EGOT punch card, Jennifer Hudson is the 17th person in history to achieve that designation and officially the third Black EGOT winner uh, the fifth woman to achieve the acclaimed award status um, and briefly uh, she rose to fame 
Uh, this is from Maggie B. Nowen. Uh, she rose to fame in 2004 as a finalist for season three of the American Idol uh, TV show and made her film debut as Effie White in the musical Dream Girls in 2006. Um, she's an excellent reminder that no matter who you are, where you are from, if you have a dream, determination, and you put your hard work in, uh, you can achieve it. So, some ebony excellence to start things off. Now, have you been, Q, paying attention to these uh, committee hearings? They, they feel like a trial, but got any of that? I have. I've When it was live, I followed it by the minute. I've never refreshed my feed more feverishly yeah. um, than that night. And I was not even aware that it was going to be live. So another shout to Maggie B. Noah for sending me that link yeah. and letting me know that that was live so that I could pay attention, so that I could tune in. And um, I mean, as you could imagine, you know me. I spent a lot of that evening upset, <laughs> of course. even though it was information that I already knew. Seeing it with such color and such context really painted the picture that we all knew was true. But a certain sector of our population needed to see that way. And some of them, of course, still deny it. So this is kind of what I wanted to make sure that we talk about. This is why I mentioned earlier in the show that, you know, minorities are definitely a part of this conversation. Um, now, for those that know, and I'm sure everyone knows, um, there was a mob that breached the Capitol, all Trump supporters, um, at his instruction, for the most part. And um, the group was largely white folks that broke in and committed all kinds of crazy acts. We'll get into the story in just a second, but just a, a brief overview. Um, and I want to frame this for you. At that time in the country, we were still sort of reeling from what we had to come to terms with in terms of race relations uh, from 2020, you know, all the protest about George Floyd, about Breonna Taylor, about, um, uh, you know, there, were, there was a, a slew of shootings just in that year, police shootings, killing uh, unarmed black men. Uh, I remember Richard Brooks, I think his name is in, in Atlanta, Georgia. That one troubled me deeply because he was shot in the back. And um, that happened before we were able to start this show. But that was one of the things that kind of kept me up at night because it was like the fifth one. in I don't know how many weeks. And I'm like, yo, you know, this, like we knew it happened, but you know, now the country's seeing it happen and nobody's doing anything. Anyway, all these protests were happening in 2020. And for those that know, um, or for those that don't know, rather, I should say, this show that you're listening to right now was born out of a lack of representation for our political interests, our being black people specifically, political interests in the spaces in which you are hearing our voice now. So this could be a hip hop station, you know, and you got to think about that for a second, because there's lots of hip hop stations around this country that are they may not be black owned spaces. Um, the ownership of these hip hop stations may not have thought about what it would be like to have a, a moment in time where there's not rappers and singers and dancers on the radio that 
okay, these are people with a culture and they need to protect themselves from disinformation and misinformation and empower themselves amongst themselves using their own voices and so forth. And because of that lack of representation, this show was born. And can I add, not just our political voice, but there was a lack of empathy for our just general livelihood. Yeah. It wasn't just about politics. Just, I mean, the, the phrase is black lives matter. Of course. That is a controversial statement in this country. Sure. There is a lack of empathy for us existing and just having basic decency and human rights and just being able to exist. So very much uh, you'll notice if you're alive in this country right now that the all lives matter cry has died down significantly. The black lives matter cry has died down, of course, because, you know, that moment of racial reckoning has um, dissipated a bit, um, but it's still very prominent. BLM is still in the news. Black Lives Matter is still a phrase that you hear, but the All Lives Matter response to it has decreased dramatically, right? And and we said on this show, we knew before and we'll know forevermore that it was just in response to us affirming that our lives are valuable and that we should not be shot in the back um, for doing what comes natural, you know, uh, running away from something you're afraid of or whatever, you know, these sorts of things. Anyway, um, it was a long road for us to get on as many radio stations. There was a lot of people, you know, whoever, whatever radio station you're listening to us on right now, there was a person there, more than likely a white man that we had to talk to. And they, and this white man more often than not said, um, I recognize that, this program needs to be on these airwaves because this is something missing from my radio station, right? Um, But the long and the short of it is that there was a time in this country where the media was grossly misrepresenting those protests that we took part in in 2020, right? They were saying that we were rioting when we were not rioting. They were saying that we were um, setting up, you know, uh, like bricks on corners and all kinds of outlandish things, right? When we found later that it was in fact the police and far right movements and things like that trying to sabotage peaceful protests, right? So this show was born out of the fact that there was so much misrepresentation for, we'll call it our moment of racial reckoning in this country. And then when you see this insurrection and you recognize that that's how they were trying to paint us, it feels like we need to say something about that here on this show that has been since been created to talk about that. So I want you all to imagine for a second that those, that group of protesters were largely black. Imagine how it would have looked. Imagine the police response, the National Guard response, the military response. Well, we don't really have to imagine it. We saw the military and police response to peaceful Black Lives Matter protests, the presence of police in riot gear, Mm -hmm. in gross numbers, ready and willing to cause as much harm as possible to people who came with no aggressive intentions at all. Mm. These people said out loud what they were going to do the when and the where, there was no such response. Now watch this. 
these people's reason. I don't want to discount that. So in this hypothetical experiment, I want you to imagine that uh, mostly black and brown people went to Washington, D.C. for what it was we were protesting, which was to affirm our lives, lives, beating heart consciousness, pretty much it, full stop, right? Um, not because our guy didn't win, you know, or, or we're lied and told to that our guy didn't win or whatever, not because of that but because we see systematically that we're being murdered and that there is no accountability, even the potential for accountability for those murders. And then the deaths of our children and our brothers and our, and our community members feel so hollow, how frustrating and how hurtful that would be. So imagine in this hypothetical experiment that mostly black and brown people go to Washington, DC, right? For reasons that I believe to be far more valid and based in um, logic and human motivation. You know what I mean? It's not because our team didn't win, but it's because we are literally dying. We're literally having to witness it. We're having to feel the pain. It's a shared trauma that echoes through our community. There's less of us than there are of the majority. By definition, we're a minority. Yes. So we're there. And uh, then, you know, we decide that you know what they're they're in there not voting on or, or finalizing the the ballot count on uh, an election, but let's say we're there because they don't want to pass the uh, the John Lewis uh, policing reform act or or whatever 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 piece of legislation that would address our issues again life and death issues, not you know we're going to be sad for four years, but no we're literally dying and there's no accountability for it not even the potential. And let's say we storm the Capitol, right? How many of us would be dead? You know, most. Yeah, yeah, dead, dead. Like dead, bodies, body bags, right? There and, was, a, And in their minds, justifiably Right, so. they shouldn't have reached, you know what I mean? So, I want to read now, because I want to turn the tables just a bit. Now, let's, let's talk about what actually happened. Okay, um... The headline reads, the January 6th committee's plan to prove Trump's culpability. This comes via Axios. The January 6th committee, committee hearing on Thursday promised to prove former President Trump was responsible for the, cap, the Capitol attack on January 6th. Uh, President Trump summoned the mob, assembled the mob, and lit the flame, Vice Chair Liz Cheney, the Republican uh, from Wyoming, said, before laying out a seven-point plan for how the panel will publicly show Trump tried to overturn the 2020 election and prevent the transition of power to president-elect Biden. Um, the last hearing, likely to be the most explosive, is going to center on Trump's specific actions as the violence was underway. Okay. Now, um, there's another note here. It's intentional that Cheney delivered the most damning evidence against former President Trump. The committee wants Americans to see not only a Republican, but the daughter of a former Republican vice president detailing Trump's involvement and directly connecting him to the Capitol attack. All right. Um, now, they showed lots of video, okay, of what was happening. They had a timeline of the events, right? Of course, they had direct testimony from Trump's main people, who was around at the time, the people we saw in the news. Including his daughter. Including his daughter, right? And his daughter didn't say much, 
But she did say something that was noteworthy. She said that she trusted the president's, I believe, attorney general, Bill Barr, or something like that, or attorney, some sort of attorney. Um, I pay just enough attention to these these people. Anyway, um, so she said that she had accepted what he had said. Um, and it later came out that uh, Rudy Giuliani, which was the president's lawyer and, again, one of his close advisors at the time, suggested that Trump, uh, out of the blue, despite everyone else recognizing and Fox News recognizing, OK, this election has um, chosen Joe Biden. Uh, Rudy Giuliani said to Donald Trump, just say that the election was rigged and stolen from you. And Trump kind of leaned into that plan and went ahead. And then, you know, as some months had passed um, and they kept kind of saying that the election was rigged and stolen. And if you have evidence, you know, blah, blah, blah. When January, January 6th came about, he had kind of amassed this group in D.C. to speak to them and then of course, directed them to the Capitol where they were about to do the final count of the state's votes. And um, the vice president at the time, Mike Pence, was supposed to certify that election. This is a process that happens for every presidential election. Mike Pence, of course, famously decided that he was sane and competent and uh, going to do the right thing. You know, so I, I don't necessarily want to pat him on the back, but I kind of do because that's a lot of pressure. I kind of want to pat him on the back and we don't typically. Yeah, give that's not extra credit for, for doing, doing what job. you're supposed to do. However, circumstances. when you're the only person. Yeah. Dennis, when it's very, very unpopular to do so, then I got to give you credit yeah, for that. And there's a mob outside with a what is that thing where they hang people like a, a noose? noose? Yeah. So. Um, so anyway. This frames all that. Now, again, these are problems that exist in a different reality from a lot of black and brown people in this country. This is a separate problem. We got that guy out of the office. Maybe we got the guy we wanted. Maybe we didn't get the guy we wanted, but we got that guy out. Right. I don't know that there was a person that we wanted still. Sure. At that point. Sure. But it was very clear what we did not want. There, that's that's what I'm trying to say. So. Those were our problems. This January 6th thing was a bit beyond most people's like day to day. It wasn't really that big of a, uh, as big of a deal as some of the other things that we had endured. COVID, you know, the election, of course, and the distresses that come with that. Of course, the murders um, of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, et cetera, um, and all the protesting and so forth and the affirming of our lives in 2020. So, again, let's flip this on its head. Um, one of our talking points, this is what uh, Maggie uh, wanted us to, to ponder on this show. And so we're asking you to do the same thing. Um, would the proper teaching of American history have made a difference in that moment? In other words, if people really knew more about American history, racial history, right? Because we, we, we understand on this program. Q and I both, that Donald Trump's election, this is our reality. It might not be yours, but this is our reality. Donald Trump's election was the result 
of racism, a racist backlash to Barack Obama. He got out there. He started singing white people's greatest hits. The reason that your life is bad is because of people in Mexico. The reason that your life is bad is because of immigrants and, all, you know, people from these S-hole countries and blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I don't think there's lots of people. He started singing racist white people's greatest hits. Racist white people's greatest hits. Not white people. Sure. That's because uh, thank that you for, part we know is not true. Thank you for correcting me there. Um, and we also recognize there was a huge response to Donald Trump. It wasn't enough to make it happen, but, you know, he did lose the popular vote. Donald Trump did. So we do recognize that there were uh, a lot of folks that, you know, felt that way. But we also. But Can I speak to the question that you asked? Sure, please. Would the proper teaching of American history had made a difference? The proper teaching of American history, maybe 20 years ago. Absolutely. Okay. At that point, probably not. And here's why. Once upon a time, left and right still had to agree on what facts were. Yeah. There you go. That world no longer exists. Right. So even if the proper history had been taught, when you have a voice that loud, that can just stand up and literally say, as a child would, fake news and have 50 million people agree with them, then you question. Are we beyond saving at this point? Sure. Is there a world that exists where proper history could be taught and accepted as fact and not just partisan um, propaganda, if you will? So, so that's exactly where I was going, because I think that that makes for a good defense of critical race theory or more properly, American history. Right. Because critical race theory, again, is, is more of an academic uh, discipline. It's not meant for grade school children, but n and not everyone gets to the point where they're even able to be in an environment where critical race theory is taught, right? But American history and the attack on American history um, in schools has led to sort of where we are now, and I think continues to erode at our capacity to understand and relate to each other and understand our predicament. And we're susceptible as a society to charlatans like the former president. I'll continue. Another uh, interesting point for you to ponder is whether or not President Obama would have nearly as much leniency if he was the person in office and the BLM mob in our hypothetical scenario had breached the Capitol and done all these atrocious things, even if their, uh, the purpose of them breaching the Capitol was well-founded, like we're here to affirm our lives and get some legislation passed, would Obama have as, nearly as much leniency? Even if he had not been as directly responsible for the outcome as former president idiot was, <laughs> he definitely would have been held accountable for it. They would have absolutely made it his fault and he'd likely be in prison now. So that brings me to the next point. The right-wing pundits are minimizing the trial. So these are people that, you know, in your communities, these are people that never switched the channel from Fox News, right? Fox News didn't even show the first day of the trial, which laid out everything, right? Um, and, you know, this was a primetime trial, so most Americans can listen. The ratings were, you know, somebody who makes big dollar ratings, the ratings were through the roof. Um, and then, of course, I want you to ponder that all of Trump's loyalists sought pardons preemptively for their roles in this, right? Now, 
I want to read this because this was kind of included as well um, from our producer. So the NAACP highlights the big lie that fueled the insurrection was never about stopping voter fraud. It was a coordinated effort to disenfranchise millions of black voters by overturning the results of an election in which black communities had a record turnout. The NAACP's warning, while the insurrection may not have been successful, the blow to black voters' political power was huge. Since the January 6th attack, dozens of states have legitimized the far right's big lie by enacting over 40 laws restricting black voters' access to the ballot box. Now, this is why we need to be concerned about this specific um, political issue in the country. And for everyone that is listening to our voices right now, again, it is very important that you pay attention and that you ponder these things. And it may help illustrate how, in fact, we do live in two different Americas.